0: Donnie, thanks for joining us uh, today. Uh, Why don't you uh, just introduce yourself?
1: Absolutely. Thanks, man. So fun to be uh, hanging out with you guys again. Um, So I grew up in the UK, uh, started my career in strategy consulting, did that for six years, and then you guys saved me, brought me to Kiva back in 2011 to launch the Kiva Zip pilot, uh, which I then- Kiva Zip, what's that? Uh, Kiva Zip was- uh an innovation that we rolled out in 2011 to basically make the Kiva model more direct so rather than lending through these microfinance institution intermediaries uh, which is how the Kiva model had evolved towards um, in the first few years Kiva zip was cutting out the middleman and lending directly to the entrepreneurs both in Kenya and in the US and we were lending at zero percent interest whereas mfis as you guys know were usually charging an interest rate and so it was a direct connection and The coolest anecdote for me was, there was this borrower who I met in the slums of uh, Kibera in Nairobi. uh, And she got a a $125 zero interest loan from five Kiva lenders. And one of those was this guy in Sweden, Hans. And he sent her a message through the KivaZip website, which she got as an SMS. And then she responded by SMS uh, and he got that. And that for me, was just like the most beautiful, uh illustration of what kiva was all about and these loans were in kenya being dispersed through and pacer in the u.s we are uh, lending via paypal and
2: promo uh, i forget who thought of kiva zip how did it what's the the early origin story of kiva zip even before johnny we were talking about it right or did johnny think of it i th-
0: I, th- I think so. johnny, I, I mean i i'm matt i think that was the original version of kiva i mean you know you could argue that Moses Onyango, the pastor that is effectively a co-founder, uh, was trying to basically, do, you know, was trying to trying to do direct person-to-person lending, and and then uh, you know Kiva got strong enough through the MFI model that we had space to maybe try it again. I mean, I'm, i It felt like something that we always wanted to do. It just didn't seem clear how yeah you could do it. I mean, you know, it's, how you could do it. So in a way how did we? It how did we scale. pick
2: that year? How did it actually? get set in motion that year why was
1: that the time i reckon it was well, partly an emotional response to 2009 david rubin is that oh yeah so david we were Reibman getting some... wrote this new york times article yeah. about how kiva is not as direct as it seems and the loans are predispersed and they're going through these intermediaries and so the, the yeah. vision the brand of kiva on the website is like true connection is actually not as real as it seems and so for me I always thought this, you guys would know better than me, There was like somewhat of a kind of, okay, let's try to get back to to kind of true causal connection uh, where that yeah, body is yeah. not getting the loan unless the crowd uh, fund it. There, there's another, over time, We most crowdfunding platforms, as you guys know, have grown where the project owners are like recruiting the backers, right? right so right. GoFundMe, like, the project owner recruits all the donors and that's how they grow. Like on WeFunder where I work now, like the, the startup founders like bring all, most of the investors and that's how the WeFunder investor base grows. And on Kiva, there was never that dynamic. And so over time, Kiva US, because the US small business owners were creating their networks to lend to them, that came to account. I think by the time I left, it was 50% of new lender acquisition for Kiva. Mm. And so I, I don't know if that was in your guys' mind. That wasn't in my guys' my my mind at in 2011 when we launched it. But over time, for me, that became like, oh wow, this is uh, this is a very very powerful kind of yeah. for Kiva to be doing this.
2: Was that kind of, part of what you guys were thinking? Yeah, I think it was like a combination of so many factors. Um, I think yeah. the emotional factor, the emotional factor, was definitely one of them. I remember, um, you know, we woke up one morning, maybe it's 2008, 2009, where uh, David Rubin wrote a blog entry. Uh, criticizing kiva i think it was called like kiva's not really what it seems something um essentially you know arguing that it looks like it's direct but in fact it's indirect how the money gets to the entrepreneur which is fair um but i just think i was hurt by the second order criticisms from that which um you know on the internet even at that time people just read the headline and then Mm -hmm. It explodes into another headline and pretty soon we're in the new york times i think stephanie Strom wrote an article um saying sort of kiva is not uh there's a confusion over where the money goes on kiva or something which implies there might be fraud on kiva which there was not um and that so, really
1: hurt yeah so you guys you guys lived through that right and in the early days kiva was such a darling and I mean, it still is, um, you know, even to this day. But there was, you, you, I, you guys, I think, were really kind of prided yourselves on on transparency. Um, yeah. So how did how did you feel or like what or how did you feel and also like how did you how did you make it through that crisis or what what lessons do you have? For, we, you know, we found you. how does that yeah. deal with negative PR like that? You got us through. It was you, Johnny. Just um, hire me. <laughs> the crisis. I, the crisis I think,
2: Preml, uh, I think Premo is really affected by, it. you know, he's a really, yeah, I don't know you you cared yeah, a lot I, about that stuff. I,
0: I, yeah. I did, I did. Well, I I think it, you said it well, which is the second order implication was um, one of kind of fraud or dishonesty, and you know, in the nonprofit space, trust is pretty paramount. I mean, people are yeah. trusting you with money, mm-hmm. and and then you know, I think I where I went wrong is um, there's kind of natural, just kind of like. Um, you know being defensive um but but i i kept trying to like i kept seeing the current kiva model the one that was scaling that had to work through a microfinance institution as somehow imperfect or not as good and and i think um and so then you know kind of in the era of the internet with disintermediation, i thought hey look if you could go direct um That's going to be way better. I mean, borrowers save money if you can go direct, you know, because it comes directly from the lenders. There's that connection that you talked about, you know, between Sweden and Kenya, Um, uh, you know, on a very personal level. There's just all these like benefits of direct. So I just became pretty obsessed with that, and I think maybe the learning is to, um, you know, there's probably an appropriate reaction. I probably went a little too far in like my too far disdain. How did you go too far? Well, I don't think I don't think the world necessarily sees lending through an MFI, you know, to reach people who, um, hmm. you know, uh, I don't think people see it as, as as necessarily negative. I think the negative was just that Kiva wasn't really, you know, clear that there was an MFI in the and, and you know on the on the early version of the homepage, like you know, we had a direct set of arrows between lenders and borrowers which would imply that your money goes directly to the borrower versus you know Mm -hmm. you know refinancing mfis or on lending your capital and you're taking the risk and uh, it's so complicated you know it's trying to understand like you know the flows of capital across borders is just massively complicated (laughs) but but so i don't know i felt like i i guess it was always this kind of like um it was kind of wrestling with something that I thought was imperfect and I was trying to fix that imperfection versus just like accepting a, that this is like a good a way to
2: idealism recover. you had. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: I think I think and then you know, yeah. Johnny, as you you know, you've I mean you led the whole effort of our move to try to do Kiva truly direct peer to peer. I think a lot of stuff was good about it, but you know, also it was, I you know the default rates were higher. Um, I was surprised how we-
2: was higher. I was surprised at how we found Johnny. And so um, you were like a management consultant. You weren't doing work at all related to this field. How did you first he- hear about working here? Who got in touch with you? Was it Premel? It's always Premal. <laughs>
1: I, so Oliver Wyman, which actually, uh, back when it was called Mercer Management Consulting is where Premal uh, spent his... Kreml showed this chart, right, to, like, fellows and stuff of, like, his life happiness over time. The Y-axis was happiness <laughs> and the X-axis was time. And he'd always show, like, the time when he was at Mercer Management Consulting was the Nadia. Uh, <laughs> so I saw that chart and I was like, oh. I but no, I came to volunteer at Cuba in 2009. And then I met my wife, um, Ali, um, who you guys know very well. Uh, we are now married and living here in nashville tennessee with three beautiful kids uh the third of whom is just a month old margot and so anyway i met ali when i was volunteering at Kiva, working with naomi on the review and translation program and jd on the on the fellows program and then i went back to oliver wyman in their london office but me and ali were dating long distance and then i got to translate was it a a secret was it a secret office room we we were like kind of sneaking around uh for sure for a while uh and then eventually it uh it, it became... why how did how did you bridge that gap from uh volunteering with somebody you guys to... you guys were such dragons you know as founders. we were just so so I, yeah living in fear I, about the that, that might have been yeah. hr
0: pre-HR, pre-hr department at kiva <laughs> yeah as, <laughs> we as as part of uh, matt, was matt, matt coined this phrase hrd gra <laughs> yeah, that was before HRD
2: grow. HRD grow is the last day before getting the HR department at any startup. It's called HRD grow. That's where you do. That's when you have the party, the wild party, and then the next. That's day, where you you find her. your future wife. You find your future wife. But um, how did like? Can you remember the first it's moment where it you went from professional to
0: uh, romantic? Strictly professional to romantic.
2: When was um, the first what moment? What was
0: that moment? By by, by that. We we were sure.
1: out for a, we were out for a dinner like with a few other Kiva people as well, and then we we uh, after that dinner, I remember just like chatting about it in like
0: Johnny. In, was uh, like it after the, the softball game?
1: The softball game was, I think, probably <laughs> when Ali first noticed me, With the scores tied, the bottom yeah, of the ninth. Incredible! The, the ball sky rockets up into the air. Uh, Johnny, Johnny has no glove. It.
0: Johnny has—he's no only a guy in the outfield. Anywhere in, uh, in the field, without, yeah, cricket, cricket. One-handed to win the game, actually. Tied and the then game. once he catches this ball, he throws it up in the air, you know, like the <laughs> cricketers do. Is it? Uh, and then there was a very British thing. Very.
1: Yeah, yeah, so Ali was watching, and I think that's the moment, right, when she knew. And then, uh, so then we were living in the same city, San Francisco, and then um, I decided to leave, we got married and then I decided to leave Oliver Wyman. And then I didn't know what to do next. And then you guys were thinking about starting uh, Kiva Zip. I was- Cause you were like, you were like the best
2: intern. We had this ranking of all the interns, a power ranking in the back room and you were number one. And so we are just going to go down the list and find through the best interns. You rose to the top. We called you up. I, I would say
0: Johnny is like one of the best interns ever. Like,
2: well, you know, it's just he can't, I his mean, trick. What a, his what a trick guy. is all he. Do, all he does, you know, he tricks you because he knows Excel really, he knows really Excel well. And so PowerPoint. He, that has a, guy he has killed, a, killed it. He
1: knows every power yeah. key in Excel. Can you give yeah.
2: any um,
0: macro? Man, you perhaps?
1: once said you once said that watching me on uh, Excel was like watching Liberace play the piano. Yeah, That's it right. is. It's it's yeah, like, you know, a, you know, like key, key sequences virtuoso. that are, I wish you know, I'd like, learned, I wish I'd learned Ruby on rails, but, but so actually, this is an interesting <laughs> point. Cause then to, to go back to your question on why, why I like ended up at Kiva starting Kiva zip. I mean, you guys, you guys hired me. I don't think I was the best person for that role. Honestly. Right. Cause I right. figured that
2: out.
1: Yeah. 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 I mean, like, I, Well, I'm interested in your take on this, Premel. For me, like, management consulting is kind of antithetical to, like, being a startup founder. It's all research. It's all analysis. It's not, like, executing and doing. And so I, like, really had to unlearn those lessons. And I honestly think I'm still unlearning those. Um, You know, for me, someone like, or you guys, or, like, Justin, it was great, you know, bringing Justin on, or Akash, you know, some of these other cast of characters i i think like i was good in the sense of like kiva Zip being a you know quote disruptive <laughs> pilot within a bigger organization which we should talk about whether that was a good a good uh, idea um, and also whether it was a good idea to start in two geographies but well,
2: i remember i remember a, a time when it started really working and getting exciting their paint rate was pretty good we we're scaling and then all of a sudden you just your personality changed a bit you're dating alley you're more confident um, you started going to conferences you sort of took on a life of your own you know you sort of got a little bit too
1: big for your britches <laughs> i just got intoxicated by the fame you know
0: johnny you were able to work i mean you know you're 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 insanely capable what was it like to work for matt and i
1: i am was that weird capable. I'm insanely capable at X But
0: what's your what's your attitude? What's your attitude <laughs> towards bosses? Like you, have, you know, like I, think I mean, you're I think running actually, a program. I, you're running a program, actually, but you have a couple of bosses at least. I don't know.
1: I think actually, one of the things I'm very good at sounds like unlike you guys. And again, this is probably why I'm kind of less of kind of a founder DNA. Um, but I think I'm actually I'm very fine to work with. You know. Um, a boss and be kind of deferring to them. Um, I, I'm also kind of pretty pretty fine to delegate downwards as well. I, I'm generally I'm an ENFP. I'm very kind of you know kind of laid back. I would say to a fault. Um, and so you know um, even if I have a very difficult uh, manager, then I'll I'll be able to to roll with roll with that. Um, not saying you guys were. I, I That's actually so did it. That. That's how I made it through. Yeah, I mean, it was a hard seven years. <laughs> you know, uh there, there's a lot of hard things now working at WeFunder as well. Um consulting was hard as well. The three things I've done are hard, but th- there were a lot of challenges um uh from the seven years at Cuba. It was a grind.
0: Uh I, before, I wasn't it, sure. But what what were they before down
1: he down okay, yeah.
0: What were the hardest oh, parts what was, what was that what was the hard thing about hard things for kiva kiva zip
1: i mean every Trust every start it. every startup is hard right there, there's all the kind of normal challenges the, the one that jumps out to me though um i'd be interested in you guys take on this is like starting this as a part of a bigger nonprofit that was by that point six years old and kind of pointing in one direction and i think i think you would agree with this like the culture of kivo maybe wasn't as kind of um, uh, embracing of kind of entrepreneurship i think non-profits change. generally versus for-profits like tend to be more kind of conservative maybe or like everyone is so into the mission that the people in a really good way but there's a downside of that as well that they're kind of emotional and kind of you know apprehensive about change we would hear like do no harm which is like I think a kind of a crazy concept for like a you know a startup fintech. Um, so doing Kiva Kiva Zip as part of a bigger nonprofit and trying to win over the lawyer and the CFO and the partnerships team and the HR guy, like a, you know, rather than just having complete autonomy as you did when you started Branch. Um, that was an additional challenge on top it, of to clarify something
0: for the listeners which is um the do of, no uh, harm yeah. impossible yeah impossible for a fintech well kind of I think kind of just to get into it uh the in the in the microfinance world there's this idea of responsible lending and because you make loans and the average loan has an interest rate of 35 percent if you give money to people who, can't service that debt. Can't turn that into good ROI. They can get into a debt spiral, um, and that could have you know consequences for them. Um, okay. And so you you know this idea of you don't want to overindebt people, um, and 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 so you don't want to do harm. And I think kind of what was confusing to all of us here, Johnny, was that we're doing this zero interest loan program from a bunch of people who are wishing you well, and yeah. so if you can't pay back your loan. First of all, you're not accruing some kind of like, there's not like some meter that's running around like your interest, you know, your interest yeah. rates are going up and ballooning and you're going to, you know, be put out of your home at all. Um, yeah. And then, second, like, you know, it's quite forgivable because as long as you, you know, just say, hey, look, my business didn't work out for X, Y, Z. We reasons. didn't, we
1: didn't seize anyone's, uh, there's, yeah, there's no collection mechanism. It was really based on back. a
0: spirit yeah. of generosity. And so we were kind of getting the, the critiques that kind of, microfinance had within itself on a new model that was very yeah. different than kind of just you know, microfinance.
1: But even if we did kind of negatively impact the borrower's life, right? Like which is hard I, to imagine
0: how you would with a zero interest loan that is well, forgivable. Well we started reporting hard, on, I mean like what <laughs> we started okay. reporting yeah. on borrowers
1: credit, right? So in the US we started okay. reporting on borrowers credit. And so you know we would negatively impact their credit score, which would damage them. Or maybe you say like, if you default on the loan, then you even just like, you feel bad that you let down these lenders, right? So, but, but for me, like you, obviously, if you're doing lending, there's gonna be defaults. Really quick, I wanna ask Johnny, what were, what are
2: uh, the one or two best moments in your Akiva history? Single moments, most climactic, other than meeting your wife, what were your favorite
1: moments? That's obviously number one. We, we launched uh, Kiva City in Little Rock, Arkansas in 2013, and Bill Clinton, uh, who has since become a little more of a controversial figure, but whatever, like, that was just uh, amazing. He, he stood up, and this was only two years in. We were, like, we grew a lot more, um, you know, after that. This was pretty early. And he, he stood up and uh, just talked about how this Kiva Zip model, he said, like, one thing I'm really excited about, there's a new Kiva Zip model. And that was just nice. incredibly inspiring. And then he also launched the
2: Kiva New York program a couple of years later. Just a little context here. So you work for WeFunder now, which is a equity crowdfunding platform for people in the US and small businesses to raise you know, equity dollars, investment dollars from the public. Um, has that been as rewarding from a social mission standpoint for you as working at a nonprofit?
1: Uh, yeah, I think so in a different way. I mean, I love nonprofits. I think there's a lot of structural problems with nonprofits, but I actually think they're very, very important. I might end up back there one day. Um, but from a depth of impact perspective, you know, in terms of like, you know, reaching low income uh, people and really, really helping them, um, I think obviously, you know, Kiva had a, a much bigger depth of impact um, as a nonprofit. But with WeFundo, there's just so much more scale, right? um mm. so this, this month we'll do about 10 million dollars of investment volume when you know seven years in to to, to key us wow. we we did i think seven million dollars the last year i was there uh and so as with a for profit model a sustainable business model when you're offering a return to investors there's just so much more potential to scale uh mm. so you're trading off some some depth of impact for breadth of impact um i you know but i I would say both both are awesome. Um, I've seen a lot of these equity crowdfunding platforms
2: come and go, a lot of them were excited after the passage of legislation enabling this under the Obama administration. And then um, it seems like
1: it was a dud. The whole industry was sort of a dud for five, 10 years. yeah, so the, the Jobs Act passed in 2012. It took the SEC four years to roll out regulation crowdfunding, which they did in May 2016. So it's been live now for four and a half years. And in the early days, there were some challenges in, in the regulations. Um we're growing pretty quickly now. We we did a million and a half dollars last October, and we'll do 10 million this this October. Um, and that's gonna accelerate. The SEC are increasing the cap from 1.07 million to five million that's going to massively accelerate the growth of the sector, so... Cap of what? uh, What's that cap? Every year, um, as a startup, you can raise 1.07 million through this regulation crowdfunding exemption, where you can raise from unaccredited investors as well as accredited investors and publicly promote the offering. But 1.07 million per year has has been the cap. And um, maybe soon, uh, the SEC, we think they will increase the cap to 5 million. So now a startup that could easily raise 5 million, but they're, they're kind of cutting off a million will might not be able to raise five or many other startups that they don't want to do it. If the most they can raise is a million will now start to come to WeFunder um, and raise. And so even without that, we've seen a lot of growth through COVID as well. I think startup founders finding it harder to raise capital turning to the WeFunder as an alternative option. So we're already seeing underlying growth. This cap lift lift is gonna just pour fuel on the fire. and So I think it's going to become a bigger and bigger share of uh, angel investing over the coming years. It makes total sense, right? If you're a startup founder right now, you're raising an angel round. You can only pitch rich people, top 5% of the population to credit investors, and you have to do it privately. That is so inefficient. And by the way, it leads to very inequitable outcomes where 1% of VC Mm. goes to black Mm. founders, less than 3% goes to female only founder teams. So it's just a more efficient system, right, to to say, well, you can promote it to anyone. The accredited investors can still invest, but now unaccredited investors can invest too. You can publicly promote it. You get in front of 700,000 WeFunder investors. It's, it's hard to argue that that is not a more efficient, just better system. And so I think it's just kind of going to become more and more popular.
0: Um, how, do, how did how do the returns that, work? So you know, you talked about the seven hundred thousand kind of WeFunder existing investors, and then earlier you talked about kind of most of the fundraising that goes to you know a small business or a business a, a venture on on the platform is really from that venture's network, right? So you're kind of hitting up your friends and family to invest in your business, and you're using the WeFunder platform to kind of facilitate that. Um, Can you kind of put numbers to that? You know, like how much of it is really kind of the the ventures own community versus like random Mm -hmm. people coming to the WeFunder website, looking through projects and and making So
1: the average, right now, the average company raises uh, 350 grand on WeFunder. And about two thirds of that comes from new investors, first time investors on the platform. And one third Mm -hmm. comes from repeat investors making a second, third, fourth investment, i.e. people we bring. And then of the of the new people, you know, some of them are friends and family, customers, um, some of them are investors, right? So it's like if you're if you're trying to pitch investors on investing in your startup, you should still do that and close those twenty five, fifty K checks. But now you can also run a marketing campaign, you can also get in the press, you know, get the word out. Like if you guys if you guys put branch up on WeFunder, you know, you could you could raise a million dollars like, you know, in a heartbeat. Let's talk us talk. How, do,
0: how does uh um, you're a little do, you're what, a little what's what's the motivation so I thought, what's the motivation for the one-third one for the investors yeah. and yeah and how does that return profile look like historically kind of the irr of being a, an investor on we looking at kind of different things to invest in like how does that work out usually
1: yeah so the the return profile or the the motivation is um I mean, obviously people are investing in startups to make money. Right. But I think for a lot of angel investors, the motivation is also because they want to like be involved with this cool company or sometimes like they really think the founder's awesome. We talk about invest in startups you love. So the brand that we're trying to cultivate on we funder is not like invest in startups to make a ton of money, but like invest in startups because you know, you care about this company or you think this is really cool and it's cool to be an angel investor is and maybe if you're investing in this brewery you know we do we do main street businesses as well as tech startups if you're investing in this brewery you walk in the owner gives you a high five and a free beer you know like does that that really happen? happen
2: For sure, yeah, yeah dr- the, dr- the dream of getting a free beer at a local brewery because you
1: invested in one share equity is that a real yeah? I've heard it, about that fantasy for a long time. Does it really, yeah, that's like the perk that you know a lot of founders will offer, and and it works the other way as well, right? I read this blog post which we this one uh consumer facing startup um had they sold online uh direct to the consumer, and so they had rich sales data. So I built a sell model that basically mapped the ah. transaction data to the WeFunder investor data. And I found that people that were not previously their customers that invested in the startup then went on to become customers and spend money with them. And then existing customers that invested in them went on to have a higher LTV and a lower churn than customers that didn't invest. So uh, the, that's the second value prop to the founder. Yeah. The first is like, we're making it easier for you to raise money. And for a founder, like my pitch, and obviously founders can take it or leave it, but my pitch is if you have a thousand early investors, then that's gonna be okay. loyal customers, brand ambassadors, champions. Uh, to go back to your question, Premal, on the IRR, I mean, it, we don't really have great data, to be honest. It's, it's also pretty early, like, you know, the law changed in, in 2016. So um, we were a lot smaller back then. Um, so it's pretty early. Um, I will say like the, the caliber and the quality of the startups has been significantly increasing more recently. Like until earlier this year, we couldn't roll up the individual investors to one line on the cap table, which is often a deal breaker. But that being said, like in, in the regulation D days on WeFunder, we got into four, four unicorns, um, Zenefits, Checker, Kinko, Bioworks and Rappi. So at least on paper, I think our portfolio IRR is pretty good. Um, but uh, the realized IRR is uh, it's still I mean it's all on paper. Yeah. Right? And,
0: and is it is it just equity or is it um, is there a revenue well. agreements? What's that? You
1: can do We do debt. a few we do a few loans as well. I'd say probably right now like 90% is equity and either convertible notes or safe or, or price rounds. But some okay. some debt as well. We do some revenue share based debt where borrowers um, are paying back as a percentage of their revenues. But uh, mostly vast majority is equity. Johnny,
2: one last thing I want to talk about was uh, politics. I was amazed uh, in the 2020 presidential election how early on, like literally the first month, uh, Andrew Yang started running for president. You were like full board behind him, part of the Yang Gang, one of the founding members of the Yang Gang, uh, sort of <laughs> like uh, a religious believer in UBI, ranked choice voting, and uh, all the, the policies that Andrew Yang was pioneering and getting out into the public. Why did you latch on to that so early?
1: Yeah, well, I connected with Andrew when he was running Venture for America and I was uh, running Kiva US and we met at this um, event at the Kauffman Foundation when Kauffman Foundation were like, how do we invest a trillion dollars in, in US entrepreneurship? And my pitch was basically, give Kiva US you know, 0.1% of that, a billion is fine. Um, but uh, so I met Andrew there and I just thought he was a really, really awesome guy. And then we were talking about a partnership between Venture for America and Kiva. Uh, and then um, the next time I saw him, I was like, How's Venture for America going? And he told me on a bus, I remember he told me, uh, I'm actually going to leave and run for president. And I was like, You're like, oh, President of what? Of <laughs> the <at> United States. <laughs> um, and so, but I just think he's like a really awesome leader. I think if i looked at everyone on the <laughs> debate stage i thought his ideas were just brilliant and his character is noble and uh he's just forward thinking and thinks about things with a fresh lens and he's a he's got a good heart and so i wouldn't say i'm a religious you know kind of believer in talent um i you know i don't know if i'm even a big ubi fan i i think it's a good idea it's at least worth exploring but a lot of his other policies and just his general, like, I just think he's an awesome guy. <laughs> He'd be an amazing president. So yeah, I, uh, I donated a little bit to him early on and I uh, was uh, just kind of championing him. And actually my colleague at WeFunder, Dylan Emright, went to um, be his uh, finance director on the campaign pretty early on. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm very interested to keep mm-hmm. following along with him. I'm curious to see what he does next. After Matt and Premal uh, fintech talks, uh the andrew yang podcast yang speaks is probably my second favorite uh, podcast good one
0: yeah 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 i gotta up. go guys i
2: gotta
1: there.
2: go too